Well, it is now nine o'clock on the East Coast of the United States, and I welcome you all to the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to be hearing from Teresa Wills about math workshop in synchronous online classes. If you have not already introduced yourself in the chat window, I would encourage you to introduce yourself, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. Before I introduce our speaker, let me explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you could use the same URL you used to get here tonight. The Global Math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll catch your questions for the presenter, so don't worry that she won't notice your question in the chatter. Our speaker tonight is Teresa Wills. Teresa is an assistant professor of mathematics education leadership at George Mason University. Teresa has taught synchronous online classes and webinars for 10 years and researches teaching practices that are adaptable to the online environment. Prior to online teaching, she worked as a secondary math teacher, technology coach, and mathematics coach in grades K to eight. Teresa uses this background in mathematics coaching technology to teach rigorous, interactive, and engaging courses. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Lee, and welcome, everyone. Um, thanks for the, the nice introduction there. Um, before we get started, I wanted to, to talk about uh, ways that you can access and interact with tonight's presentation. I'll be sharing my screen on yours, but if you would like to interact, uh, again, the tiny URL is on the sticky note up there. Um, it's tinyurl.com slash mathworkshoponline. You will need to log into a Google account in order to open it because it's gonna save your own copy of the Google Slides. That way you can mess around with it all you want. It's always saved for you and you can go back to it at another time. So um, there's two ways of interacting today. Um, I mentioned um, that, or Lee mentioned that I'm an assistant professor at George Mason University and my contact information is on this slide here. All right, let's dive into some math workshop. Let's see, there we go. Um, what I'm gonna model today is how you implement learning stations in the math workshop environment. This comes out of Jennifer Lemp's book, Math Workshop, and um, I'm specifically gonna get into the nitty gritty about how do you do it online. Um, in the Math Workshop book, Jennifer talks about different types of Math Workshop, uh, one of them being a task and share. Um, this is not going to be modeled today, but I do this every Saturday. I call it Mather Days, and if you head to my website, you'll be able to sign up for those and see those or past recordings. Um, today, I'm going to focus mostly on the learning stations. In a face-to-face -face class, you might um, you know, tell your students to go off into different learning stations. One group might do a game, another group might be doing a paired activity, one group might be independent, and you might be doing some guided math with another small group. Now, how does this look online? Well, let's explore that. 
One of the first things I do with my students is I make sure they are all familiar with the jobs and roles that they're going to be doing whenever they are in their small groups um, working without an instructor, teacher, or um, adult in the virtual room. So everyone gets a role, much like they would in the face-to-face -face class. And today, when you see the different student interactions, I'm going to ask you all to interact. And you're going to do so in the chat box. You're going to interact um, by telling the group what you see or what you could see if you did this in um, your class. There's three lenses that we're going to be looking at today. Collaboration, which means when your thought is inspired by somebody else's and better because of somebody else. Interacting, which means we're moving things around, clicking things, changing things. And finally, having student voice. But student voice isn't just what you're hearing. Student voice can be speaking, typing, comments, use of images, um, any way that you're getting your ideas visible. And the notation we're going to use in the chat box. If you see collaboration, you'll start typing the word collaboration, colon, and how you see it. If it's interaction, that's what my little yellow arrow is. Um, you type the word interaction and how you see it, or student voice, colon, how you see it. That way we can kind of share ideas as I'm going through. Today in this very, very short time, we are going to look at eight different types of interactions that you might be doing in the classroom, in a face-to-face -face classroom for math workshop. And I'm gonna show you some video footage of how it's done online. We're going to start and end with a whole class routine. In this case, it's a number routine. And just as a side note, I'm not saying to do all eight of these in one class. I'm just trying to show you eight different ways of seeing uh, activities in Math Workshop. So we might start off with a whole class number routine. And um, when we begin this, the class is going to be doing a which one doesn't belong where they look at four images and determine the image that doesn't belong and the accompanying rule. There's often multiple rules and multiple images that don't belong. So I'm going to go ahead and get up the first video and you all can see this in a class. Alrighty, so um, in that example, you saw what happened with a which one doesn't belong. You saw students moving the little doesn't belong symbol and then typing their response. So in the chat box here, um, oh, wonderful, I already see several folks uh, following along. And you're going to let us know when did you see collaboration, interaction, or student voice? And just to kind of bring out uh, some of the ones in here, uh, Melissa said that uh, there's student voice when students justify their reasoning. Mary mentioned there's interaction, engage more than once with the visual. Marta says can see others' ideas and share own ideas. Kelly noticed that um, you see each person's reaction at the same time. 
Mark noticed the interaction of having different reasonings. Indeed, um, when we do a which one doesn't belong, students can respond in so many different ways, um, and so we want to give them that space to do so. Uh, Kim said collaboration, students were able to read other people's ideas. And the nice thing about having that shared space is yes, every student types, but they don't stop the learning once their ideas out. They generally will read other people's and make connections to other people's. Awesome. So what you all are seeing is a class that's using Google Slide um, and um, a variety of different breakout rooms, which you're going to see in just a moment here. Um, there are several platforms that use breakout rooms. Zoom and Blackboard Collaborate are two of them. Google Meet has said that they plan on having uh, breakout rooms at the beginning of the um, next academic school year. So we are excited and looking for those. Um, alrighty, so in our next um, several series here, we're going to look at when students are in breakout rooms, there's a small intimate group of either two to five students um, in these breakout rooms. All students have access to the slides and they're all editing the slides in real time. So you'll see some of these examples coming up now. The next activity, which you might see in a face-to-face -face class, is um, an activity where it starts out independent. In this case, they are moving toys inside of a circle in order to say um, what fraction of these toys has some kind of common rule. Um, and then they're going to go into uh, actually exploring uh, the fractions with a partner. So it starts independent and then goes to partner. All right, let me get that video up for you now. All right, so um, there the, the partners independently moved some of the toys into the circle, um, guessed the rule, um, and then the other uh, participants are the ones typing in those little uh, dotted cells. So um, the question for you all is, how did you see interaction, collaboration, or student voice? Nicole already mentioned student voice when they're answering what parts of the fraction um, each number represents. Absolutely, we're able to see um, student responses in that way. Rebecca saw uh, students justifying their answers. And Melissa, yes, this one um, has such an easy interaction with this space there. Um, the students know exactly where to type and what questions to answer. Lily did uh, notice that there was collaboration with a partner. Indeed, these students started off independently, kind of coming up with the puzzle or the rule, but it was their partner that had to put the math together. 
and Linda, even our youngest uh, learners, um, our K first graders, enjoy moving those little toys over. They're Hatchimals and they're all the rage for those kinder first graders. Thomas noticed the ability to self-correct, um, and that one's nice because when they're working together, they're able to see um, each other's responses and also check it. So I keep asking you these three questions about the way that the students interact because it's so important for teachers to realize that um, sometimes we get in a rut where we start to give the exact same experience to kids over and over again. It could be because we love it or it could be that's the only one we know. So each thing I'm going to show you today is a little bit different um, and that will help you to stay out of that kind of rut. Um, all right, let's let's roll into another one. Um, in this next activity, it is a small group activity where all kids are moving stuff at the same time and talking it through. Um, so nobody does this independently. All the microphones are on and everyone has a chance to move and duplicate slides as they see fit. Um, so in this activity, um, you're going to see the groups look at this uh, big rectangle and try to find the fractional amount. Um, and their challenge is to find as many visualizations as they can. All right, let's go ahead and get that one on. Alrighty, um, so we saw there that um, the students were the ones who were moving all of the color and when they wanted to have um, multiple um, representations, they just, you know, took the agency, made a, a duplicate slide and added more to it. So uh, my question for you all is, where did you see collaboration, interaction and student voice? Shelly, nice one. Yes, students are collaborating and figuring out different ways to model it. Um, it kind of reminds me of those pictures of triangles inside triangles and asks you how many triangles can you find? Um, and so you're looking at it all different ways. And as soon as someone else's perspective comes to um, mind, all of a sudden you can see it so many more. Yes, uh, Deb mentioned multiple entry points and solutions. Um, so many of these fractions could be seen different ways and uh, it requires students to be flexible in their thinking. Yes, Melissa, they are collaborating. They need to work together. Uh, Sanjitha said uh, freedom of work. Yes, there's a lot of freedom in here. There's a lot of voice um, to speak and explain or to just show your thinking on there. Frequently on this particular activity too, there's no one uh, student who sees all the different ways. And so it's a nice way of looking at fractions and in different perspectives um, this way. Wonderful. 
All right, let's look at another one. Um, this next one here is a, a partner game. And it's not so much a partner game of winning and losing, although kids will you know, always come up with the best rules for things. Um, instead, this is a you take a card, put it down, and now I get to take a card. Um, and this uh, activity is all about putting fractions in order. Um, and so before the next person can go, they need to confirm um, that uh, your order is correct. So let's take a look at the partner game of ordering fractions. Alrighty, so with that partner game, you were able to see students moving these cards um, and putting them in order. You may have also noticed a student was uh, using a picture of some manipulatives. Um, I'm going to come out of present mode so you can see what the students would see. Um, I sometimes keep these manipulatives off to the side uh, with a very low tech tool of a vertical line and they can use those to check their fractions and line up. So you all are already on it. How did you see collaboration, interaction, and student voice? Nicole mentioned student voice because students are confirming answers. Absolutely. And Melissa noticed not only voice, but choice, because the students can move and put the card where they uh, think it goes. And yes, each student is able to move those cards. Monica noticed the connection between interaction and collaboration, um, because while they're moving the cards, they're also working together to ensure that they're in order. Kim mentions the voice of explaining their thinking. Um, and some of that voice can be seen in the manipulative in that vertical line. Wonderful. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's look at a couple others here. Um, in this next one, um, you'll notice that this is a little bit more guided. Uh, this is a guided group exploration, um, and it is kind of more of um, a step-by-step -step process, but through little hints along the way to guide students into seeing Cuisinaire rods as fractional representations because eventually we want to get them to making their own. So this is all a guide into making their own. Let's go ahead and take a look at this guided group exploration. So you probably noticed um, that there were it was more guided this time than other places, um, but it did allow students in a small group to work together to unpack the math and then eventually be able to do the math on their own um, and come up with as many ways as they wanted to. Um, 
So let's see, I'll bring up our slide. How did they use collaboration, interaction, and voice? Melissa saw student voice because choice is allowed in making your own representation. This can bring access to so many students who might otherwise be nervous about getting a right or a wrong answer. I can put up a two number ones and a number two rod, and I know that it's half of two. Um, so there's lots of opportunities for halves, and eventually when they're um, able to get to fourths and thirds, there's a lot of opportunity. Mark saw voice because students were uh, feeling empowered with help. Um, Brenna noticed interaction creating their own. And kids love to make their own, kids of any age. I work with sixth graders who are excited to make their own fraction bars. Um, and what they try to do is they try to find ways that nobody else thought of. So as a group, they might be duplicating slides and have seven, eight, nine, ten different ways. And then they're like, oh, man, I already did that one. Now I need to do a different one. And so they kind of compete to see how many different ways they can do this. Kim also noticed how they cut and pasted evidence of their thinking. And Joanne noticed uh, correct uh, expressions, noticing patterns. Wonderful. All right, kind of moving along here. Um, this next activity, um, I might have done this in a face-to-face -face classroom where I have every student fill out an exit ticket, just to check for understanding. And I might have three fractions listed on the board and say, you know, can you put these in order from least to greatest and, you know, give me an explanation. Well, when you do it online, you can actually harness some of the affordances of the technology to make that exit ticket better than you could have done in the face-to-face. -face. So in this activity, students had 15 cards to choose from, and they picked any three they wanted, which lets me know a little bit about what they do know, and I can ask questions about what I still wonder. While they're ordering them, they're watching their peers order this uh, different cards in their space, and they're watching their peers develop an explanation. So four students are working on the same slide at a time, and um, I'm going to go ahead and play that so you get a, an idea of what that looks like. what was on the slide, there's all the choices of the cards that the students could have picked. And I can tell pretty quickly um, the, the thinking that a student might have if they're picking ones with the same common denominator or if they're picking ones with different denominators. They can also tell me their thinking um, down at the bottom. But the unique thing is they get to see what their, what their peers are writing at the exact same time as they're developing their own ideas. So I see many of you guys are already on it. Um, how do you see collaboration, interaction, and student voice? Linda noticed explaining the reasoning, absolutely. 
Allison saw math vocabulary. Indeed, as the students are writing down their, um, their answers to this, their explanations, they're using a lot of vocabulary. Deb noticed everyone can do this problem no matter what level of understanding they have. Um, this problem does allow for a variety of entrances. If you are just working on things like halves and fourths, you can access the problem. If you're working on comparing using common numerators, you can access the problem. And if you're comparing based on benchmarks, you can access the problem. And you can make the problem as hard or as easy as you want. Uh, Ty noticed that there is um, the collaboration of seeing other students' answers. That's a really neat affordance of this activity. When students see other people's answers, it starts to inform their own thinking. Sometimes they change their answer because of that. Sometimes they change their wording. But the neat thing is when kids start getting very sophisticated and editing their wording um, because they want to use more math terms or be more specific. Kim noticed that they're learning from each other as they move the card. And collaboration, they're working together to answer correctly. And again, this is another opportunity where the learning doesn't stop because you've inserted your answer. The learning gets to continue because you can check other people's work, you can check their explanation, and once you have really um, strong online communities and norms, students will just work fluidly and asking one another, what do you mean by that? Or are you sure that's there? And, and they um, test each other in that way. Alrighty, let's check out another one. Um, in this activity, this is something that I've definitely done in the face-to-face -face class. I give students a large pile of pattern block manipulatives, and I would ask them which one is, if, if the hexagon is a whole, what are the fractional values of everything else? And then I might ask them, well, what if a triangle is a whole? What's the fractional values of everything else? Um, and so this is an activity that is um, a tried and true favorite uh, in the face-to-face -face class. But here's how it might look when students do it online. First of all, getting your own space is really, really nice. Um, so I might be the hexagon person and my other partner in the room might be the trapezoid uh, person. Someone else might be the rhombus and someone else might be the triangle. Everything we do on this slide is connected, but we all have our own space. So let's see this in action. They're uh, just drag and drop so the students can drag them down and actually interact with the pieces. Um, but each student in this case would take a column and they would be responsible for the things in their column. But they are all related. So, um, you know, if someone's got one third for the rhombus, we know one third couldn't be for the other pieces. All right, let us know how did you see collaboration? How did you see interaction? And how did you see student voice? Melissa noticed students justifying with the visual 
Um, I love having students do visual proofs in my face-to-face -face classroom. So when I was given the idea of like, how do we do this online? It was important to me that they could still move the shapes um, and that they were able to uh, have that visual proof. So the collaboration in this one um, might not have been uh, so obvious here, but it's really neat to hear the students talk on this because um, they will do, uh, for example, if the hexagon is one, they'll put one half for the trapezoid and then change it to be like, oh no, I mean two. And they'll start to debate this idea, is the trapezoid one half or is it two? And those numbers are really related. And so it brings up a great conversation that could then be justified by the other pieces. So as soon as they start using the triangles to justify six or one-sixth, then they're able to make those full connections. And that's what I see happening in that uh, activity. All right, folks. Um, this uh, last one that I'm going to showcase today is um, what I would do at the end of a class. Again, I'm not doing all eight in one class setting, um, but I usually will start with a whole class thing. They'd get some um, group time, and then we come together at the end of the class. And at the end of the class, I would usually ask a check for understanding, maybe an exit ticket, Maybe they would write on a whiteboard and show me, or they would just drop a sticky note in a basket on the way to lunch, and I would be able to get this exit ticket um, information from them. Well, here's how an exit ticket looks when it's online. All right. Um, so uh, the neat thing about this uh, exit ticket is that every student in your class is writing at once. You get this influx of information that is so much different than working in a face-to-face -face, um, class. So here, um, whoops. Let me click here again. This is all that I did on my slide. I just created some text boxes and asked them a question, and now the students are all writing in and in real time. How did you see collaboration, interaction, and student voice? Melissa noticed in the collaboration, you're exactly right. As they're typing their reasoning, they're also maybe reading other people's reasonings. They're learning that their um, explanation is right, or they're thinking about ways that their explanation is different from others. Pat noticed that each student had their own spot, and that is a really important um, observation to make there. When they have their own spot, they're held accountable for making sure that they answer, but they also feel empowered to answer. Melissa also noticed the collaboration in reading other words. So again, the learning doesn't stop just because I have an answer. I get to continue to learn, I get to continue to think and continue to grow. Um, Brenna noticed if a student doesn't know where to start, 
that's definitely happened to me before. I've sat in classes and I'm not sure how to answer something. But the feeling when I get to read other students' responses and learn that way and then respond gives me a feeling of empowerment and makes me feel confident that my voice um, is uh, going to be accepted. Uh, Lonnie noticed the formative assessment. Yes, as soon as I have that uh, information, I know what my lessons need to look like tomorrow, what groups they need to be in, which lessons they might need to repeat or try again, um, and uh, giving them a chance to, to work on that. Ellen said maybe give a little wait time at the beginning. And um, as your students get more sophisticated in using interactive slides, um, sometimes I'll ask them to uh, type their response in the chat box and just pause and then go ahead and, and paste it in once they've had a chance to think. And then everyone can kind of have that, that think time to themselves. Kim asked, do students have assigned spots? And sometimes I do give them assigned spots. Like I would always know, Kim, you're the upper left corner. I might have a little matrix on a sheet of paper in front of me, much like I would for my classroom seating arrangement. But this time, it's a matrix for where my students are typing in the slides. All right, folks, um, tonight I shared with you, or I should say today because it could be morning, um, I shared with you eight different ways of having students interact, have them collaborate and give student voice in routines um, that are part of Math Workshop. Two of them were whole class and the other six were in small group. Um, I hope from today you've gotten ideas to think about how do I send students off into a breakout room and have them work together? Um, what are some important norms that I might need to establish um, so that they can work together? And many of these ideas are taken directly out of um, information I would have used in my face-to-face -face class. Um, if you haven't checked it out, check out Jennifer Lemp's book on Math Workshop. Uh, she gives a lot of great ideas for guided math, learning stations, reflections, and more. Um, and if you want more information about um, you know, how do I um, actually interact with these math workshops? Um, I frequently do um, other PDs. Uh, they're available on my web website. You can sign up for those. Um, and in addition, I try to put up videos for how do you do some of this stuff? How do you create um, these objects that are drag and drop? How do you create decks of cards? Things like that. Um, and if you send me your questions, I try to get uh, as many answered through video because then I, people can share it and watch it again as possible. All right, folks, I try to leave lots of time for Q&A afterwards. I hope I've inspired you to rethink your uh, learning stations, rethink the type of collaboration you expect, the interaction you expect, and all the modalities that you can get student voice. Because learning online is different, but it doesn't have to be difficult. It can be fun, it can be engaging, and we can give a lot of student voice to our kiddos. So thanks for coming. And um, Lee, uh, I believe you probably have some questions for me. Yes, um, I put 18 different questions in the chat for you. Um, so, um, or not in the chat, from the chat into that, that Google Doc that I shared with you. Um, so I grabbed 18 different questions um, so you can read them off of that document I shared with you. 
perfect. All right, someone wanted to know about getting access to the videos you showed. Right now, I'm sharing my screen with my YouTube channel on it. Um, those videos are already on YouTube, um, and many more are going to be put up on my website. They're also linked within the presentation, which, Lee, I believe um, I can, yeah, that link that I gave you, are you able to attach the slides to the uh, recording? Um, yeah, yes, um, that chat actually ends up being saved um, with the recording. That, Perfect. Yeah. So we'll make sure those slides are there. And in the uh, slides, actually, um, each of these, um, where are they? These little guys that are open, their videos attach to the pictures. So all eight of those have videos with them. Yes, everything's available to you all. Um, how do you break up the week with the different types of lessons? If you have a math each day, how does a five week get broken up? Um, that is a really good question. I love to start my units. Um, my unit might be a nine week or a nine day long uh, section, and I'll start off with an open task. Um, the task will spend the entire hour or the entire math um, block on it. And the purpose is to um, get students really interested in the unit that's coming up and get them to think about the problem in so many different ways. After we have our discussion, um, every day for the next eight days, we always start with a number sense routine, um, much like the which one doesn't belong that you all saw. I might give some focused mini lessons um, for a few minutes and then um, send the students off into breakout rooms. Today you saw eight different activities. I would almost never give students access to all eight at once. Um, on day one, they might get two of them, and I might pull some small groups for guided math. Um, the way I would do it is I pull um, the small groups in the main room where I can teach in there, and I can also see what's happening in the other breakout rooms. Uh, frequently, I have a co-teacher, and so my co-teacher bounces around the breakout rooms, or my co-teacher runs the guided math, and I bounce around the breakout rooms. And when I say bounce around, I, I literally enter those rooms, listen in, probe students with more questions, um, and see what they're putting on the slide. Um, I might have several days of that. Um, if I don't have a focus lesson uh, or guided math, it might just be learning stations throughout the week. Sometimes they'll get activity one and three. Sometimes they'll get activity four and six. Sometimes they'll just have um, uh, abilities to kind of finish up uh, some of the stations that they didn't quite get to. Um, but especially with our youngest learners, I try and scaffold it. Um, let's see. Um, so somebody asked about Google Slides um, and how I have the students online. Um, they all have access to being able to edit the slides. We established some norms and procedures at the very beginning of the school year, um, or in this case, the beginning of spring break, um, about what you do when you're on those editable slides. Um, we even practice things like practice mistakes 
practice what happens if we accidentally delete something um, and practice how to bring it back up. We give students the language of how to say positively, oh, don't worry about that, just hit Control Z. Um, and so we do a lot of those routines, much like you might do in a face-to-face -face class. Um, somebody wanted to know when building the Google Slides, how do you get infinite number of students so all kids can move the image? Um, I have a video for that, which let me see if I can um, link to you. On my website, I have several videos, and one of those that you just asked about was um, how to clone. And I think the best way of answering that is just to put the link to this video um, in the chat. Uh, Lee, if you think there's a better way of doing it, let me know. But that uh, link to the video will teach you how to clone those individual objects um, so that you can um, make a whole bunch of them. And they're really just a bunch of objects stacked on top of each other. I'll let that video run in the background as I read the next question. Someone said, what did I use to make the slides? I use Google Slides uh, almost exclusively for everything because it fosters collaboration, interaction. Um, I'm able to give the link to all of my students um, regardless of their device. So they can have an iPad, a Chromebook, a Mac, a PC. Um, there's so many different platforms that Google Slides works on. Um, the only suggestion I would make is make sure your students download the app if they have an iPad or a tablet. It works way better when they have the app downloaded. Someone asked, so students are making a copy of the slide template. Um, no, not usually. I had you all make a copy of a slide template, um, mostly because I was expecting um, more than 100 people. And sometimes when you have over 100 people in Google Slides, it gets a little slow. So I force copied uh, the link to you all um, to make it so that you had to have your own copy. But usually all my students cop, um, work on the exact same slide. Um, how do you get the interactive games that were on the PowerPoint? I have everything available on my website, um, TeresaWills.com. And on the templates, I have lots of essentially blank slides where students can put their own work in. Um, including on these blank slides are lots of math routines. You're probably familiar with things like splat, coral counting, which one doesn't belong, what comes next, continuums, I spy, same or different. Um, there's a whole bunch of different math routines, and there's even some games down in here as well. And they're all um, easily copied, and you just pop them into your presentation. So while the kids are in the Zoom call, you are sharing the um, actively through Zoom. Yeah, so um, you can use Zoom, uh, Blackboard Collaborate. Pretty soon, Microsoft Teams and Google's Meets will also have breakout rooms. Um, but yes, I am bouncing through the breakout rooms, and they all have the slides, and they're all working on those slides. How do I have two students work on the same slideshow? Um, when I share my Google slide, I can go up to the share feature. 
um, and I can type in multiple student email addresses or just paste them all in. And the, the trick here is to give them editing rights. So you can see that this says there's multiple options. If I give them editing rights, um, that gives them more agency, gives them the chance to change the slides, add to the slides, and really make them theirs. And of course, I always keep a backup slide in the background just in case you know someone needs something refreshed or um, set back, reset back to the beginning. Uh, let's see. How do you set up the rooms for this? Um, again, on my website, I have lots of videos of frequently asked questions. I get this question quite a lot. Um, and I'll post the quick link. Let's see, watch breakout rooms. All right, the link that I just posted in uh, the chat box there, um, we'll take you right to breakout rooms. This is how you do it in Collaborate Ultra. I'm trying to get a couple more um, platforms together, Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams, and others. Uh, that was just the one that I happened to have available when I made the video. Get you started at least. How can you interact with audio through Google Slides? So this is a really interesting question, and we could get into a lot of um, equitable discussions here. Um, whenever I have video, um, I don't stream it through the platform. So what I did today, I streamed it through um, the web chat just because of the setup. But typically, I just give students links. One of the reasons for that is because students have a lot of distractions at home. And sometimes they need to rewind the video or pause the video. Um, and so by giving them links to the video instead of streaming it, I can ensure that they're getting a stronger internet connection. They can have time to let it buffer um, and they can pause and rewind when they need to. So if you use my slides and you're um, clicking on the video, you'll see that there is actually just a link embedded with that picture. Is there a voice to text component? Absolutely. Um, and the way that works, I'll kind of model it here. I would go up to tools, voice type and speaker notes. You'll see my cursor is down here and it's going to start to add. This is the global math department and we're talking math workshop. So um, I know it's a little bit small print, but you're able to see at the bottom in the presenter's notes that it's gone from voice to text. And it does a pretty good job. Even my um, rising second grader um, and my rising third grader who um, is, is working with uh, a lot of speech right now is able to use this and it's able to interpret um, their voices and put it into text. Um, Teresa, I think you were actually on your YouTube page at that time perhaps, when you uh, showed that. Hmm. Let's see. Um, yeah, I'll do it again. So um, I am, it looks like you can see my screen here. Um, I'm going to change this font size so you can really see what's happening. So these are the presenter's notes. They're down below the slide. 
And um, if I go to Tools and I go to Voice Type Speaker Notes, I can hit play and start typing. This is the Global Math Department and we're talking math workshop. So you can see that it's added here in the speaker notes um, and students who need extra support can simply copy and paste those and paste it on their slide um, or use that in a variety of ways. Thank you. Yeah. Someone asked, is it easy or hard to find contributions of a particular student? Um, and that is just the design of how you're going to create your slides. I'm going to move to slide 42 because you all saw this as the exit ticket. One strategy that I can do is give every box a number. And each of my students also have a number. So if Teresa is number four, I know every single time that there is a number four and a response next to it that that came from Teresa. I'm also able to see the um, person's cursor. Uh, you probably noticed that in some of the videos that you could see different people's cursors as they were typing. I'll put another video on so you can see it. Um, and when you give students access to your Google Slides um, through email address, it won't show up as anonymous. It'll actually show up as the student. So let me put that video on again so you can um, see all the different cursors kind of moving at once. Um, and in the little colored section at the top is where you see their names. So do you see how there's like this hot pink color, this orange color, this turquoise color? Um, those are all the students typing and you would see their names pop up as long as you shared your slides with their email address or their Google Classroom login. All right, let's see what other questions there were. Someone asked, do I have other activities? Um, again, if you head to my website, TeresaWells.com, I try to put lots of stuff up here for teachers. And as soon as I create more stuff, I put it up. Um, but if we scroll down, there are math activities for secondary also, especially um, coordinate plane information, I find is something that we constantly are trying to reteach. Um, and so this one, I, back in the day, I used to play green globs, and this reminded me of it, so I created it um, for secondary students. Can students accidentally mess up the slides? Sure, just like in a face-to-face -face classroom, um, students can accidentally mess stuff up, which is why it's really important to develop norms and routines from the very beginning. What do we do when we make a mistake? And I highly um, encourage anyone, especially those of you in secondary, to uh, get into a kindergarten or first grade classroom and just listen to the way that the teachers establish norms, routines, and they practice them. One of the things that I do um, in some of my uh, sessions is we practice making mistakes. Like I literally give the kids a slide of things and they accidentally delete it or they accidentally resize it or they accidentally type on top. 
we all create a control Z superhero and we talk about why this superhero is amazing and it's because they don't get mad at us for making mistakes. Um, instead, we just have the language to then tell our friend, oh, no worries, you just hit delete, just hit control Z and it'll come back up. And so we, we practice those routines at the beginning. Building relationships with students remotely is huge. Um, I typically will always start off and end with relationship-infused slides. Some of these are as simple as uh, taking a pulse on the emotional uh, check-ins with students. So I have a slide on here, and the students would just pull these little icons down to let me know how they're feeling. And when I see that a student is feeling just um, really sad, um, I'm able to reach out to that student um, either after class or send the student a private message and say, you know what, I noticed you were really mad today and that's okay. I still like you when you're mad and you're sad. Um, let me know if you want to talk to me about it. And then the students can sometimes open up. Uh, other ways of building relationships. If your platform allows you to have a profile picture, it's really important that you as the teacher um, don't continue to just use your professional profile picture. Um, it's, it's stuffy and it's not, it doesn't connect with students. As soon as you put up a goofy photo, uh, for example, one teacher did um, a cat on his head, then all the rest of the week, students were putting cats into all of their math examples. They were talking fractions with cats. Other students had pictures with their pets in, and it builds community. So keep those goofy uh, pictures and comments going because that's going to build those relationships. Someone asked, how do you um, respond or encourage students who are shy or nervous? And that's one of the things I asked you today is how do we see student voice and how do we see it differently? Today, you were able to see um, semi-private uh, or fully anonymous ways of having voice. Um, sometimes students don't want to use the microphone. So I make sure that they have activities like the toys to play around with and write without having to speak. And then when they actually do have a question, it makes sense to use their microphone because the question's important. Um, so again, using a variety of ways of getting student voice, the microphone isn't the only way of doing it. There's lots of ways. Um, let's see. How can we attend your other PD sessions? So on my website, I actually, I do daily PD. Um, I'm up to, uh, let's see, three months, one every day. So I've done quite a few. If you go to my website, there is um, a bunch of opportunities for free professional development. Um, and uh, you're welcome to go on there and, and join one of them. Um, have any strategies or ways to address um, what if we discovered common wrong answers posted by students? Oh, so. Um, YouTube the, the term my favorite no. Um, again, it's my favorite no, and it's the way that I address wrong answers with my students. Um, so they are all busy uh, working on their slides, and I'm noticing, um, for example, uh, the slide I have up, I might see this, 
for the one-fourth. And I might see that on a couple students' uh, work. So then I'll pull all my favorite no's, all the ones that were wrong. And here you'll notice there's no name attached to it. So when I bring it up to the class at the end, hey, a lot of people had this as one-fourth. What do you think they were thinking? And what questions would you ask them? So it might be an incorrect solution, um, but because we're able to take the student's name off of it and showcase it, um, we can have some really rich discussions. Uh, someone asked a great question. I love your work, but it seems so time consuming. Any tips? I used to get this question a lot in the face-to-face -face class too, because I used a lot of manipulatives. I used a lot of things where you had to cut them out and students rearrange them. So I made a rule for myself. If I'm gonna spend my Friday night cutting out manipulatives, I need to use that baggie of manipulatives for at least seven different activities. And then I would you know, make something and then I wouldn't have to do it as often because the students are using it for seven activities. Um, so if it was a triangle sort, they might start at the beginning by sorting them by angles. They might sort them by sides. Then we're gonna use the triangles to sort by area, small, medium, and large. Then later we're gonna use those triangles to actually um, measure in the measurement unit, the length and the height. And then again in the um, uh, geometry unit, we're going to find the area of those same triangles. So my students are using the triangle packets seven times at least. Well, I do the same thing online. If I'm gonna make a slide, I'm going to find seven different ways of implementing that slide so that my hard work is actually put into uh, the classroom multiple times. Um, all right, folks, I think those are all the questions on there. Um, I, I hope you've gotten some tips today. And um, again, if you have any other questions, feel free to put them down here in the chat box now. Um, and hope to hear your successes online. So please uh, share your successes when you have them. Teachers are looking for support with this. And when they see that there's a network of teachers who are trying it, and being successful, they um, become more positive and interested in trying it themselves. So good luck with your online learning, everyone. Thank you very much, Teresa. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's a lot of information and a lot of valuable resources. <laughs> it is, <laughs> yes. Um, so I just want to let everybody know that next week is our last uh, session of this academic year. And then we'll be starting up again, I believe, the second Tuesday in August. Um, next week, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Jenny uh, Senkova, and uh, she is. her topic is called Revolution is Needed in High School Geometry. She's focusing on the essential ideas of proof, language and geometry, and looking at the traditional topics that are taught. So I hope you'll be able to uh, possibly join us for that one. Um, that one is actually for grades 9 through 12. So if you know a teacher that is in grades 9 through 12 and teaches geometry, I would recommend that you uh, pass that information on to that teacher. All right, so have a wonderful evening, everyone, and I thank you once.